Hey, hey, you're listening to the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. My name is Bree Mitchell. I am the host of the show as well as the founder of Brown Girl Self-Care, a wellness space for Black women that are looking to get to where the healing resides. This is your first time listening to the show. I just want to say, hey, girl, thank you so much for pressing play. And if you've been here for a minute, if you've been rolling with me for a while, I just want to say welcome back, sis. I'm so glad that you're here. So today I have a really good episode. I am sharing um, the point of Brown Girl Self-Care is to not only share the information that I'm learning and and resources and things like that, but it's also about us just being in community with each other and sharing our stories, like hearing collectively our voices and parts of our journey. And so that's what I have for you today. I am in conversation with Brie. Actually, we have the same name, so that's funny. Hopefully this conversation doesn't get too confusing, but her name is Brie, and she is the founder of Fit Beats, which is a waist beat company that does it for the culture and for self-care for, for women. And so I am sharing, or she is sharing her story. We're talking about what it felt like for her to just lose herself. Have you ever felt like that where you just, you just, you get lost and you're struggling just to pull yourself forward. This kind of happened for her after she got married and after she had two children and, and as she was trying to pivot in her career and actually she was going to school at the same time and she started to lose herself and that included her health and things got a little scary at one point. So we talked about that as well as just overall struggling to prioritize yourself when you are just feeling stretched at at all ends and you're just completely stressed out. We talked about her her losing weight and just the commentary she would get about her body and you know that's something that black women typically we we endure a lot of that. We get a lot of comments and there's a lot of commentary on the black body and the body of black women. So we talked about that as well. And we talked about a whole bunch of other things. So um, I would love it for you to just go ahead and listen in and I'll see you on the other side. So yeah, my name's Bree, just like your host here. <laughs> so yeah, I'm from Dallas. Um, I actually... When I was in undergrad, I studied abroad in Ghana. So that's kind of where I was first introduced to waist beads. Um, You know, just started wearing them. It's just a personal, personal thing, you know, cultural thing. Um, Yeah, and I've always worn them since then. I guess it's probably been about 10 years now, maybe more than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been wearing them for a while. And when I got back from my trip there, I had met a few friends there. So I you know, wanted to kind of help them financially, help them sell some of their goods and stuff that they had there. So I opened up a little Etsy shop and I was, you know, selling whatever they had. It was art, it was clothes, all different kinds of things, but the waist beads are kind of really what took off. And if you know me, anybody that knows me, I'm like a huge Marcus Garvey, like fan. My first son's name is Garvey. (laughs) Like, we're very dedicated to that idea of, you know, connecting Africans across the diaspora and on the continent. So that's really what a lot of my, my business and, you know, my whole life has been about since probably since that trip, or maybe even a little bit before. And um, a little bit about me, I'm a wife, I have two children, (laughs) two, I know Bree has heard them in the background in our other earlier conversations. Yeah, two little boys, four and two. And 
Yeah, that's me. I've just been pretty much doing this business since I've been out of undergrad. All right. I love it. I love it. So um, let's go back, if you will, if that's okay. And I don't know if you mentioned it just now, but why did you take that trip? It's a crazy story. (laughs) In undergrad, I was studying poli-sci. And at that time, I was really started to think about going into like international public policy. So, you know, I was thinking, okay, you know, aid and, you know, how can the U.S. help other countries? You know, when you're young and naive, you just think that, you know, the world just works in this kind of, I don't know, like friendly way. So I got invited into a, um, like a program. It was called the Institute of International Public Policy. It was funded by the UNF, what is it? The you, the United Negro College Fund, mm-hmm. and, um, and the government, obviously, the State Department kind of funded it too. So I was going into international public policy, and I was learning all these things about how the U.S. works with, you know, other countries and gives them aid and how they supposedly help people. But the more I was learning, the more I was like, this is not, this doesn't sound good, like, you know, they're basically giving people money or giving countries money and telling them, like, you have to do what we say. So Mm. that's the point where I really got more interested in entrepreneurship. And I was like, you know, if you can just help people on these continents sell their goods to a wider audience, that's going to help them out a lot more than just giving them aid. So that's really what got me interested in, you know, actually going over there, meeting people, making more connections and stuff like that. So basically, that's how I ended up on that. Um, It was a study abroad. I stayed there for a whole semester. So from January until May, I was in Ghana and I learned so much. I met so many people and Mm. it was just a completely life changing experience. You made it back to the States. What, What year did you come back? I'm sorry. What year was that? Um... I went to visit, what was it, 2012? Yeah, I stayed there for, it was only for six months, so I was there for, from January till May of 2012. 2012, so it's been about 10 years. Yeah. Okay, time flies, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the meantime, you've had babies, you're married, you're booed up, you've got this business. And so I know that when we talked, one of the key things that stood out to me, amongst all the things that we're going to touch upon, is that you kind of lost yourself along the way. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and since we're talking about self-care for Black women, I want to touch upon that. So let's go back. Let's go back a little bit, or I guess after 2012, I'm assuming, somewhere in there. You, you, you guide this part, but what was going on? with Where did, where did you feel that you started to lose yourself at, as a woman, you know, as a human? Like, where did you start to lose yourself? Yeah, I think this this part of my story is very relatable, I think, to most women. Um, Well, I guess the circumstances are a little more dramatic, but, you know, the overall part is very relatable. So after undergrad, I stayed home for a couple of years, and then I went to law school. I went to Howard Law, um, loved it. Another amazing, great experience. I actually met my husband the first, I think, the first day of orientation, not at school. He was working on a food truck, Jamaican food truck right outside the school. I went to eat there and yeah, we've been together ever since. So yes, (laughs) but anyway, crazy story. We ended up getting married, I think my second year of law school and I got pregnant after that. And I ended up having my first son, the, the, 
break, the winter break before my last semester of law school. So winter break came, I, you know, had him, I took off, you know, you get about a month off anyway. So I took that month off and crazily, he actually had to go into the hospital for about three weeks. So I was in the hospital with him for three weeks living at the hospital. I was so stressed out. My parents aren't around because obviously I'm in a different state. My parents are in Texas. I'm in in DC for law school. And kind of it, that was the moment where I, I know a lot of women, you have your first kid and you're just, you know, you don't know what to do. I've never been that type of person that took care of babies. I was never like, oh, I love babies. I mean, I wanted children, but I never was like that person that was so into babies. So I didn't really know what I was doing. I was, you know, lost. I think I can probably say for certain I was probably struggling with postpartum, not depression, but definitely anxiety. I was so worried about his breathing. I was so worried about, you know, am I doing something wrong? Is he okay? Is he still going to be, you know, here in the morning if I go to sleep? Mm -hmm. So I was not sleeping well. I was not functioning well just at all I know I must have had postpartum anxiety and um obviously my husband he didn't know anything about that he's just like what is going on with you and um but despite all that I went back to school when school started the next semester so that's just three or four weeks off went back to school I'm breastfeeding mm. I'm in law school I'm completely stressed out not eating I have work, actually, I have papers due from the semester before because they gave me an extension since I had the baby. So I'm doing two semesters worth of work at the same time. And yeah, I just started literally, physically, I started shrinking and I'm already a very, very slim person. So anyone who knows, if you're already slim, you get comments all the time about, oh, where are you going? You're disappearing, blah, blah, blah. So People were starting to say that more, but to me, it was just in one ear and out the other. So I'm like, people always say that, you know, it's just like, please don't comment on my body. Like I have a million other things to think about besides that. But it re I really was shrinking because when you're breastfeeding, you're already losing calories. Mm -hmm. And then just from not eating, from being so stressed and so busy. Yeah, I was really getting small and I didn't notice it until my waist beats literally just fell off like they just you know how you go to the bathroom and take down your pants waist beads everything just fell off they didn't break they just came down mm. and I'm like, what in the world like when did I lose that much weight that my waist that's a lot of inches yeah you know what just fall off yeah so it was scary and it was that moment where you're like oh my god I need to take care of myself like I need to sit down and eat something and sleep and you know, do all the stuff that you need to do when you have a newborn baby. You know, how are you even going to create enough milk if you're not eating, if you're not taking care of yourself? So yeah, that was like a wake up call for me at that time. And that's when I really rebranded my whole business and everything to start talking more about bodies and how women can be more in touch with your body and know what's going on with your body just by paying attention to your waist beads. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, just those inches, like, because you know, or obviously you know, and I have a couple of waist beads on right now, uh, when you tie them on, depending on where you want them to sit, you know what I'm saying, and what, what the purpose is, 
I mean, at, pretty much at any time, because I can't imagine someone tying them super, super loose. So it's like you put them pretty snug. I mean, not tight, but, you know, yeah, they're appropriately. Stay, yeah, right. They're on After top the, of your hips. So if your hips go down to the point where it, it's, it's slipping off, it's like. And that's booty, too. So you lost booty, too. Yes. I was that kid that I didn't go through puberty. I'm so small. Like, I went through puberty, obviously, but my body did not change. Like, I looked the same from when I was 14 till I got pregnant. When I got pregnant, that was like, oh, like, I'm growing. Like, I have curves. I have a shape. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. My husband's like, ooh, what's that? I'm going to have to make a couple more of these. I didn't know that's what. So, yeah, it was like, you know, I was like, okay, maybe I'm finally, like, you know, developing into a woman. Like, I felt, I really felt more, I don't know, I felt more feminine, more, Mm. you know, like an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though, for some reason, I would still get weird comments. I was getting on the bus one day, and the bus driver was like, "Do you have your school card?" And I'm like, "Sir, I am like fully pregnant." <laughs> like, oh my god! What are you talking about? I am a grown woman, but yeah. So anyway, yeah, I was really sad that I was losing all my curves that I thought I finally gained. You know, because people always say when you have your first kid, that's when you're gonna, you know, when you're gonna get curvy or whatever. And yeah, mm. that all went away. And it was not natural. It was just from stress, just stress alone. So yeah, and I always tell people, people think every time you lose weight, it's supposed to be a good thing. But no, you have to pay attention to what have your habits been in the last, you know, month, two months, whatever. Weight gain, weight loss, it's just your body telling you to look at your habits. Sometimes it could be the result of, oh, I've been working out, I've been eating better, I've been sleeping better. But sometimes it's really stress. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you're 400 pounds and you lost 200 pounds. If it's due to stress, if it's due to you not eating, if it's due to you, you know, being not sleeping, that's not good. It's right. not good. Yeah, our bodies are always signaling something. And that's one of the things that I, I have realized the more I embrace a lifestyle of self-care, um, which is continue. It's like a continuous part of your journey. It's not like a one and done. So when you're embracing this lifestyle of self-care, you start to pick up on the cues that like your, for example, your body is, is giving you. And so, yeah, our, our bodies as women, as black women have gone through so much and go through and continue to go through so much internally and externally, you know. Um, internal factors and external factors, I should say. But yeah, when you're dropping weight like that, and you bring me back to something, uh, I, I try now to never comment on anyone's body. You know what I'm saying? And I just imagine you getting those comments because when you, it, it kind of hurt me to hear you say that you didn't feel like you were a woman I mean you know obviously you're a woman you know what I'm trying to say like you didn't feel womanly how about that womanly because you didn't have like the curves and stuff and so um people commenting on your body oh girl you need a sandwich I'm sure you heard that a lot oh girl you need a sandwich or you ain't eating over there or what you know how black how we do because black people we're so familiar with each other and that's the beauty one of the beautiful parts of being a black person is we just have that familiarity, that comfort. Like if you go somewhere, you looking for the black people like, okay, oh, I see a few black people over there. Okay, we good. We straight. It's, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just that comfort in, in connection when you see 
another black person, right? And so, but sometimes we can take it to the extreme. I'm not saying that there wasn't concern for you, but just the way you, like people commenting on something like that, that's so personal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I don't try. Know what's going on behind the scenes? Right. You say stuff like that. Even exactly. just saying, "Oh, girl, you losing weight. You look great." You don't know how they lost that weight. That could be, like I said, from stress. It could be from a eating disorder that they're trying struggling with. You know. So you can say, "Oh, you look good," but come on, you don't have to always say, "Oh, I see you're losing weight. That looks great," mm-hmm. or you know, it's like unnecessary sometimes Mm, yeah that's just something I just want to continually continuously be uh, mindful of I have really been trying to over the last few years be very mindful of doing my best not to comment because you're right you don't they could be like yes girl you know I did that you know yeah yeah but then they might it may be the opposite like they could be ill they could be dealing with a mental like it's a lot of stuff or you and then you know with the body and the hormones and the this and the that like it's just yeah. a lot so yeah we we don't know we don't yeah. know yeah and I think it's not to say we can't you know tell someone they look good but it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be related to to the weight, the weight. yeah and if they want to say yeah girl I've been working out then it's like okay you can say something after that but don't just assume and don't project on them that they look better because their weight has changed we're a very weight conscious society we are whether you're skinny whether you're fat whether you're big, whether you're small, whether you're petite, whether you're whatever, like, or, or just, just right, or perfect body, Coke bottle, but like, we're just a very weight aware society. And I understand that there's like health issues and all that stuff. I, I do. I get that. And that's one of the reasons why I personally, for me, I know that there's probably about 30 pounds to lose on my frame because I'm so small, right? Um, but we always hear people saying to the to someone that's fat or overweight or whatever, like, oh, um, like I was reading an article about Lizzo, who's so freaking beautiful to me. She's just the cutest little thing. <laughs> and um, there was an article, I think, on Yahoo or something. Of course, I read the comments and people were like slamming her for her weight and stuff like that. But they would say it's not healthy. But I'm like, you never comment those things on regular bodies or or how about this bodies that fit the norm that are acceptable in society exactly. like if you're skinny like well you can't be too too skinny but if you're just like regular looking or whatever i'm doing air quotes um so i'm not sure of what wording i'm trying to use here but um you don't i don't really see those comments like about well she or like if like if there's a celebrity with the perfect body and she's eating a sandwich right for example I might see other comments, whatever, but you never see those comments like she's eating that sandwich. That's a heart attack on the plate. You know, I hope she's healthy. I don't think I've ever seen a comment like that. But if it's an overweight, and especially a, if you're overweight in America, everyone has rights to to just come come for you and question who you are. Like everything is based on weight. Oh, she's fat. She must be a terrible person. She must be greedy she must be unhealthy she must be a bitch like just all this judgment comes out the more you weigh the more judgment is piled on yeah right definitely yeah and it's so and yeah I feel like because I I don't work out I don't do anything I'm probably I mean I I mean you you don't know what's going on on the inside of somebody's body Mm -hmm. 
Lizzo probably works out more than I do, literally, because I don't work out and I've seen her working out. Mm -hmm. So how do you know who's healthy and who's not and who's doing what and who's eating what? And people can't stop eating. You, you have to eat to live. So how if you see her eating, it's not like, oh, that's the, it's not like you're seeing someone take drugs. Like you shouldn't be doing that. She has to eat at some point. I and think that someone all- took a picture of it while she's doing it. It doesn't mean she's doing that all day. Like, and well, she does have to do it all. I mean, she has to eat like several times a day. But I think if you're overweight, it's like people get to monitor and judge what you're eating. People just have this right to just say whatever they feel they want to say, and that it's just not right. Exactly. It's just not and right. The internet just exacerbates that because you can't tell what that person who they are, where they are, what they look like. So they can just say anything they want to with no, no consequences. Yeah. No repercussions, no consequences, any of that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I'm sure that there, I, I know for a fact, there's like a lot of body shaming and things like that. And then it's like, you wonder why people have, like people don't want to speak up or people have these guards up or people have, like our mental health is already so delicate. It's it's already so delicate. You know what I mean? Um, and then just to add on to that based on like everyone else's views and feeling they have the right to comment on anything about your life, right? Under the guise of caring. Because usually they don't care. They just want to feel better by saying those things. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that just brings to mind... Yeah, like I remember when I was pregnant or when I was breastfeeding, they would be saying, you know, people have comments. I think I had an uncle or somebody that was saying like, okay, how are you going to breastfeed and you're so small? Like, you're not going to be able to make enough milk for that baby. Like, how can you say something like that about someone? And I think even my own husband, honestly, I think he had doubts like we're going to have to get some backup milk, you know, because you're so small, they're going to suck everything out your chest. I'm like, Hmm. what would people do before formula was around like yes I'm just because I'm skinny doesn't mean that I can't breastfeed my own child Mm -hmm. you know just Mm -hmm. just ignorant and I mean that in the literal literal Mm -hmm. way people really don't understand how bodies work and you know and just make comments that you don't realize how hurtful they are or how damaging they can be Mm. Mm. Okay, so we've had was this Garvey that we had? Yep, Garvey. Okay, so we had a little Garvey. (laughs) And so you're in school, you're doing all the things. You're a wife, you're a new mom, you're doing two, three, four, five, six semesters of school at the same time, child. I don't know how you was doing it. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Seriously. Yeah. When I think back at that moment of my life I'm just like how did you do that because that was so stressful (laughs) Mm, I'm sure it was I cannot imagine and with a newborn no less and breastfeeding (laughs) so you're not getting sleep your waist bit waist bids your waist beads have just slid off they tapped out they said we're not holding on no more sis we done with you we are divorcing you and your body on this day On this day, we are done with you. I did not sign up for this. (laughs) They said, on this day, we are done with you. And we are parting ways. 
And so you said, I mean, was that your light bulb moment that you've had now got to, I've got to make a change here. Changes. Yeah. What were those changes? What do they look like for you? Yeah, that was, you know, after I graduated, I did take the bar, but I never, I did not study for it because I was just like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to take care of my kid. I paid, I mean, I went and took it just because the school had paid for everyone to take it, but obviously I didn't pass because I didn't study and I haven't even taken the bar again since then. That was like five, no, it was 2018. So it was a while ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've literally just been doing this business because I was like, you know what, even if I pass the bar and I go work for a big law firm, it's going to be more stress Mm -hmm. because they already talk about the hours you know, it's going to be over this overtime. There's no respect for your schedule. No people literally have cots in their office where they just sleep overnight and stay oh. there. Yeah. Law firm culture is like not. So I just had to make a decision and say, you know what? I don't think that life is for me. Like I can't do that. I have to find something else to do. So yeah, I've just been growing my business since then and just made a conscious commitment to staying home with my kids, running my business and, you know, taking care of myself and mm-hmm. not putting undue additional unneeded stress on my on myself and on my body. Mm. So if there were a few ways that you could pinpoint, I know that you decided not, well, you did take the bar or you did take the test, but you're, you didn't move forward with it and you didn't pass. Um, but... Are there other things besides saying, you know what, this lawyer culture, this culture of just working in a law firm and just pretty much sacrificing yourself for this job, I'm not with that. That's not the path for me. So other than that, which is a huge deal, were there any other maybe like things that you did as a part of like your self-care so that you can kind of restore yourself? Definitely, yeah. Um, some of it, I'm very into like herbs. My husband, like I said, he's Jamaican, like from Clarendon, like the country part, like not, not Ochi, not no, you know, he's like very into herbs and stuff. So I do take a lot of, you know, just natural, um, herb type of stuff. Um, one thing I would tell any woman, if you are married or you have a partner and you guys have kids together, let them do some of the work. They can do it. He's there. He cooks. He, that's his profession. Obviously, I met him on the food truck. He cooks and he's great at it and he does not mind doing it. He knows how to do laundry. He can get the kids up in the morning, brush their teeth, do whatever. So split responsibilities with like, you know, I do some of the stuff. I make some of the money. I pay some of the bills so he can do some of the housework. He can do some of the help with the kids. We're very good about splitting responsibilities and not letting everything pile up on me because I'm the mom or I'm the woman in the house you know um yeah and you have to be very open about you know if when you're feeling stressed or when you're feeling overburdened you have to have those conversations with people around you it doesn't just have to be your husband partner it can be family parents you know other people I'm a very big believer in your kids are belong to the family you know so yeah they I mean not to say that they're responsible for them but in most cases, they're very happy to, you know, take them for a day or whatever. So don't feel like, you know, you are the only one that can watch them. You're the only one that can take care of them. 
just seeing how, you know, family life works in different cultures, like when I was in Ghana, or even when I went to visit my husband's family, like in Jamaica, kids are very much everyone's responsibility. They can go mm. from house to house, you know, people take care of them, family, your parents, the grandparents, whoever, everybody take care of the kids. It's not, it's not like here where it's very much, you had those kids, so you are the one that needs to take care of them. You know, and I think that takes so much pressure off of being a mom, because even in the home, you know, the rest of the family saying, hey, those are y'all kids. But in the home, it's like the husband's like, hey, these are the kids. So you as the woman have to take care of this. But I, I feel like that's not necessarily the case in a lot of other cultures. So yeah. that's a big part of it. Delegate and spread out the, the workload. Yeah. I love that. And you're you're so right. I'm not saying this is the, the story for every black family in America, of course, but we lost so much of our culture over the last few hundred years. You know what I'm saying? And that sense of community and just collective care and villages and and all that, because I was triggered when you said um, those are your kids. Take care. Of, what did you say? Like, those are your kids. I'm not taking care of your kids or whatever. Yeah, you, yeah, have, you need to take care right. of them. Yeah, that that is pretty much what it is. That is pretty much what it is. We're so separated. And the thing from my personal experience is because we've been so separated, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, like my family is not divided, is not, my family is divided. Um, so I had a father somewhere doing Lord knows what. And then of course I was with my mom and even though we lived in, I don't know what it's like, I guess it's called a duplex or something like a house behind a house. Like they, they owned the property and they had two houses, like the big house was in the front. And then, um, I, I, if I'm using duplex wrong, forgive me, but the duplex or the smaller house was in the back, whatever it was called. And so we lived there. And you would think that even that would be like automatic connection. You know what I mean? But that's so just that was your grandparents in the bigger house. No, it was my aunt and uncle. Sorry, okay. my mom's sister and then her brother-in-law and then their kids, their two sons. And then it was me and my mom and my brother who has recently pa or passed away a few years ago um, in the back house. And you would think that that would cultivate a sense of village, tribe, community. I'm not saying that they didn't step in and help from time to time and like watch me, like if I was home from sick or home from school sick or things like that. But there there really wasn't this big sense of like village and and we got each other's back and that kind of thing. It was it was there a little bit but not really. And it's just unfortunate because I feel like we've we've lost touch of something so important to our just even our health and well being, right? Mm -hmm. um, just that division and that that lost sense of connection and community. Yeah, and I feel like I I have this conversation so often with my husband, just you know, comparing con and contrasting our cultures, and I just see a lot of fear. We have a very fear-based society. It's not just Black Americans here. It's just America in general. A lot of fear <laughs> and a lot of like suspicion of people mm -hmm. taking advantage of you. And I think it's well warranted because we've had so many 
of those situations. But, you know, in other cultures, I feel like people are more open, more willing to, you know, share, especially when it comes to things like finances or business ventures or, you know, family homes. We see it so often with, you know. It's okay to be skeptical and to question things that don't quite sound true. Like the time that I was dating someone that was trying to earn cool points, so told me he liked every single TV show that I did, but then couldn't tell me any of the names of the characters on these shows he claimed to love. Like, seriously? If something seems too good to be true, do some digging before you invest your time, energy, or money. This is why when it comes to my health, I use Ritual because they know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our high standards. Their clinically backed essential for women 18 plus multivitamin has high quality traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. These multivitamins are gentle on my stomach and are so easy for me to take. It's crucial that I trust what I'm putting into my body, so I love that Rituals Essential for Women is USP Verified, which is a huge deal. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash self-care. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash self-care for 25% off. Okay, so what do Gail Anderson, Oprah Winfrey, and Big Boy have in common? These are three people in media who back in the day showed me that my dreams were possible. These visionaries paved the way for me to take a huge chance on myself by sharing my voice in the podcasting space. Black representation in media didn't happen by chance. We had to fight for the right to be heard, to be seen, to share our stories, and to take up space. Imagine if you could have some of the power, richness, and depth of the Black experience in one curated space. You can. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, and empowerment, as well as perspective of the culture in real time. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Conversations ranging from Abbott Elementary to mental health to Tracy Ellis Ross, there is no limit to the range you will find on Black Stories, Black Truths. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Immigrants here, people, they'll live in the same house save up their money, buy the house next door until they own the whole block. And it's like, we could do things similar to that, but I think the, the main thing that's really stopping that, it's not knowledge, it's not that we don't know we can't do that, it's just the fear of thinking someone is gonna take advantage of you. And then maybe it's, it's the, the thought that you would, that you as a person, maybe you would take advantage of that situation. Mm -hmm. It's just the culture that we're in. That's what we're kind of taught, you know, to take advantage of things. And you know that other people are taught that too. So you're like, no, I can't let people know how much I'm making. I can't go in with a, on a business with my brother or my sister because, you know, what if they try to do this or do that and that really hinders our growth a lot and tying back to the the whole premise of self-care I don't think we can have proper self-care unless there's a community aspect that allows you to have you know time for yourself space for yourself that means someone else has to take over your responsibilities at some point you know even if it's as simple as oh I want to go get my hair done I want to get my nails done 
who's going to watch your kids while you're gone? Someone has to watch them or else you're taking them with you. Is that self-care? Trying to watch your kids in the nail shop? God, so, no. <laughs> it is so, not. Yeah I, yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more conversations about how communities, like in real life communities, you know, families, not those, I mean, the communities that are online are so good and I'm so thankful for them. But at a certain point, you have to realize they're not, you know, they're chosen. And real, real, real community is not something that you choose. It's something that you just, you know, there's old people, there's young people, there's all kinds of people. People that you don't like are going to be in your real <laughs> community. And I think people have lost sight of that so much with, you know, the internet and just we find these little tribes where we all think the same, we all look the same, we all talk the same. And you're forgetting that real communities like before when you're in the village there's going to be people you don't like. There's people you don't get along with. People that may not think the same as you. They're a different age than you, a different gender, different all kinds of stuff. And you have to figure out how to make those communities work mm-hmm. in a certain way. So, yeah. I love that. That is like, that's, that is facts. And that's why I have been talking more about just like community care and things like that. Because we need each other. I think there is definitely a place for let's call it digital yes online spaces yeah we do we really do but yeah just also having that resource of actual physical connection because we need we need we need that connection you know when you're isolated let's say uh you do have a a digital home or digital village or whatever and that's great because that does definitely serve a purpose um but if you have that but you don't have also that physical village too you know you're you're still lacking you do have that digital connection of course um but you don't have that physical connection and we we need that too we need all like all of it comes together in a way for us to just thrive and bloom Exactly. I think digital communities are so good because you can share resources, you Mm -hmm. share ideas, and you are supposed to be able to take all of those things and bring it back to Mm -hmm. your physical community, you know? But when you don't have anything to bring it back to, it's just you have all these ideas in your head that you're not really able to fully, fully implement. I was just going to say that. Just even like this conversation we're having about, oh, community care. But if I don't have a community that I can come back to and say, hey, how can we delegate who watches our kids on the weekends like you know as a family we should put all of our nieces and nephews together you know I can't bring those ideas back to my real life and actually implement it in a way that is helping me have more mental peace self-care or you know whatever I'm trying to achieve right there's no way to activate it there's no way to implement Mm -hmm. it just sits with you but just thinking back to when I was raising a little and how hard that was. And I did hear the, um, I'm not raising this child language. Um, but things ultimately change down the line as they tend to do. And, um, but thankfully, I mean, I didn't really have a village village of like family that I could, you know what I'm saying? But I did have like my BFF, thankfully, who helped out from time to time. Because obviously, who doesn't want to take care of a little baby? You know what I mean? Like a, Or a toddler that's so cute and stuff. That's why kids are so cute when they're small. Because that is know. definitely a survival tactic. <laughs> because, yes. Right? You're like, how can I resist taking care of this little kid? You know what I mean? 
Um, but yeah, I just, that sense of that part or that connection with community is so, so important. And so, yeah, and I can even imagine our ancestors having their own like digital, (laughs) if you will, like maybe connecting with other tribes and villages and getting the tea, getting the, getting like who, okay, what's going on in this village and y'all good, y'all. Yeah. And I feel like I, I've heard things like they did like they had like these market women groups and stuff like where you know people from all over would come to central you know sell their wares at market but then they had like you know like meetings for like market women or whatever so those would be women from all different villages but they come together to discuss you know whatever stuff that's going on so I thought that was really cool like you know there's still ways that people will you know gather together from different places and kind of share information and that's basically like what you have going on but it's just in a digital, digital. format right so yeah that type yeah. of stuff I think that stuff I think it did it must have gone on because I've I mean I would imagine that it had to have I didn't even know that that was a thing but in my mind I was imagining like that's how it would make sense like you would come together different villages and different tribes or things like that have admit like little meetups if you will and discuss things okay what's going on in your neck of the woods and this is you know just hashing out information and just making sure that people are secure and that there's no beef and you know just different resources and things like that and then you travel back to your 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 home and you'd be like well what happened was so and so was talking about this and we're gonna try that and there's some danger on the horizon with xyz so we need to come together and be careful or you know whatever just different and, pieces of information um, those other things though like they had those little susu groups you know where you would put your money together they would like share their month like i guess everybody puts in like the same amount every month but each month oh, one so person gets mm-hmm. to, to do like a do whatever they want to do with it so yeah and they did they they must have had groups like that in scenarios yeah. where they kind of work together to create community and create resources and all that kind of stuff yeah, I'm thinking so too. That's something I definitely want to learn more about and explore. I feel like I have a million and one books on my reading list and, and things to read and watch and investigate. So hopefully at some point I'll figure <laughs> get to it. But man, there's so much information out there, you know. So so you're taking care of the baby. Well, babies, maybe they're toddlers now, or at least one of them, Garvey. And so you're settling into your life and you've got your a sense of connection and village your husband is you know doing what husbands do taking care of his wife taking care of his family making sure y'all straight um and you're running your business let's talk more about the way speeds and, and your business so you have fitbeats what year did fitbeats start officially um i guess officially i changed the name to fitbeats in 2018 so that was right after i graduated from law school Okay, but you have been doing it for a while before that, but officially, yeah, I guess. From, yeah, from when I graduated from undergrad, so I think officially it started 2015. Okay, so, oh, okay, that's a long time. So, for those that are not familiar with the culture, with our culture, culture, excuse me, <clears throat> I have a little tickle in my throat, I apologize, but our, our history with waist beads and stuff like that, um, and, it, and, it, and it's all personal, but can you tell us more about you know, waist beads and the culture of waist beads. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will preface this with saying I'm definitely not an expert, but I am someone that's just very interested in waist beads. Obviously, I sell them, but I just find them so interesting in the history behind them. 
Um, and if you follow me on Instagram or TikTok, I have been doing a little series about, you know, what waist beads, like how they're used in different cultures. Nice. So that's been a lot of fun. And just talking about the similarities and differences. But I love that this conversation actually ties back to what we were saying about community because waist beads have been used in a lot of different ways. But I think the overarching theme is really they help create community and they help organize community because they're used at different stages of the woman's life. Um, and in some cases, they're worn by women, by men in different cultures, but I'll just talk about women for, for uh, reference now. But, you know, from the moment like a baby girl is born in a lot of cultures, waist beads are put on her and it's a way to kind of gauge her weight and to make sure that she's growing at the right rate. And they put them on boys, too. It's just a way to make sure that they were growing. You know, we didn't have scales back then. There was no doctor visit to make sure that, you know, they marked a little chart to say, okay, she's gaining weight at the correct rate. So they would use the waist beads. They put them around their wrists, their their waist, their neck, around their ankles and legs to make sure that they were gaining weight. Um, and also, you know, there's a belief that they help to shape your body, give you hips, which is important for childbearing and that kind of thing. So yeah, they, they're put on from a very young age. And then as you get older, they're continually, you know, putting them on. When you hit puberty, they're a very big, um, important step in a lot of puberty rights. So in some cultures, if they have like specific puberty rights, you know, like an outing or whatever to say, okay, she's had her first period. Now she's ready for, to be, you know, a woman. They use waist beads in those ceremonies. Um, in a lot of wedding ceremonies, they're worn and they're just, um, you know, worn by the bride. They're usually gifted from the husband to the bride or from the husband's family to the bride. Um, and usually it's for well wishes and also, you know, for hopes that, you know, you have children because they represent for fertility. They can represent a lot of different things in different cultures. But the, the overarching thing that I always see is they kind of, they're, they're part of community. It's something that is gifted to you know welcome a new soul into the community that's a baby something that's gifted to the girls when they reach a certain age welcome them into womanhood it's like a community ceremony where everybody comes to witness these girls become you know women in the eyes of the community a wedding obviously that's two families coming together it's like you know a community event so that's kind of how they've always been used to kind of shape and show someone's status in the community. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, and I would love to see us, I don't think we necessarily need to adopt another specific culture, but you know, there's ways that we can, you know, implement those or kind of bring them back into what we're doing. You know, if a baby's born, you can always gift it to the mom or the baby. If someone's getting married, you can give it to the, give it to the bride or the, the bridesmaids for her to remember that's her special day, you know? So yeah, that's, that. that's kind of how they've been used um, across the continent in a lot of different ways. On the internet, of course, there's a lot of information about waste beads or a lot of people, you know, selling waste beads. And I think the tone of a lot of it is, you know, is always like, oh, you're a goddess or, you know, it has to do with a lot of different things. And um, what I see a lot is they kind of just lump it into this whole spirituality thing where, you know, crystals, head wraps and waist beads. And I think that's not necessarily the full picture of it. Even when you 
like are on the continent, like in Ghana, it's it's not that way. It's it's not really always seen that way. Um, I think one of the big things is most of the time people are wearing them under their clothes in most of Africa. I think most in West Africa mostly. Um, it's not something that you're wearing outside of your clothes. It's not like a fashion statement. It's really more of a type like it's like considered like lingerie or mm -hmm. you know something for you and your man. It's more of that kind of thing. It's not really like a you know like a belly chain like we would say here, but. Um, yeah, I think it's not always like a spiritual reason that somebody's wearing it. It's not always like, I'm, you know, I'm a child of Oshun and that's why I have on my waist beads. No, um, people put them on for different reasons. But the thing I try to stress to most of my customers is when they ask me, like, what do they mean? What do they stand for? Your waist beads are going to mean what you want them to mean. When you tie them on, it's you are putting the intention into why you're tying them on. It's your, you know, whoever tying them on, that's your intention. So there's there's no waist beads that you can put on and then you got tricked into, you know, becoming some other religion or different spirituality or anything like that. I, I don't believe in that. Um, I don't believe that somebody can, you know, put some kind of curse on your waist beads or, you know, that, yeah, that, that I don't believe in that. Um, Obviously, yes, they are used in different religions and different spiritualities. And, and those people, they have different intentions when they're putting on their waist beads. So that's the only way that they can be connected. Waist beads can be connected to those different, you know, belief systems is because they have that intention when they're using them. So, yeah, I would say to anyone that's afraid of, you know, I don't know, afraid of disrupting their relationship with their specific spirituality. Um, yeah, your waist beads don't have to mean anything that you don't want them to mean. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it took some time. I Like I, I've said before, like I'm in this process of like unlearning and rethinking, reparenting, learning, getting education. Like there's just so much um, happening. And so my, my views have shifted in several areas. Um, but it just took some time. And again, your self-care journey is your, and your life journey, obviously, but your self-care journey specifically is your own. And so you have to come up with what makes sense for you. And so for me, it looked like, since I'm a very analytical person, it looked like really diving deep and exploring and trying to get an understanding and, and matching that up with my beliefs and saying, is that does that still hold true? Um, how do I feel about that? Where do I feel like God, like, is, is God saying something to me about this or just different things like that? So yeah, it's, you know, you just have to do what makes sense for you and make sure that it's still in alignment with your, your specific beliefs, right? Are you, did you say, I'm putting you on the spot here. But I want to make sure that I mention this in case that you would be offering something to the Brown Girl Self Care listeners. Did we talk about that? I'm a bit for real. Like I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago. I right. Remember the uh, code? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. We are offering twenty percent off for anyone, any of your listeners, um, with the code. What is it? Brown Girl Self Care. So B B G S C. <laughs> I had to think about it. BGSC20. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. And what's your website? Is it fitbeads.co? Yep. 
fitbeats.co co not dot com don't go there <laughs> wait is it fitbeatsco.co no fitbeats.co gotcha so that's fitbeats.co and if you enter um at time of checkout bgsc you'll receive a 20 percent off bonus um on your first purchase bgsc 20 and that's in all oh. caps bgsc 20 bgsc 20 for 20 percent off all caps on that bgsc got it and i'll make sure that i put it in the show notes too so brie how can we find you on social media yes like i said earlier i'm doing a series about waste beads it's waste bead history so a lot of people have been really enjoying it so you can follow me on instagram it's fitbeats.co and on tiktok same thing fitbeats.co And that is it for this week's episode of the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. I would like to thank my special guest, Brie of Fitbeats, for sharing her story with us. That is the point of this community, us getting together as a community, sharing our stories, sharing what's working, sharing our pain and things that, um, you know, we've gone through. And we've experienced so that we can continue to uplift and support each other. That's what it's all about. So, again, special thanks to Brie over at FitBeats. Uh, as I wrap up, uh, I, first of all, I want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Without you, without you listening, without you sharing the show, this show would never get as far as it has, nor would it reach as many black women as it has. So I want to thank you for that. Um, If you want to see the show go further, please make sure you leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are listening to the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. And one last thing, I know that people ask, how can we support you? Um, You can always support the show by joining me over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash brown girl self care to learn more. And with that said, that is it for the show. Have an amazing week. Continue to prioritize yourself. Continue to love on yourself the way that you are worthy of. And I will see you next Monday for another episode.